Welcome to the Circle City Cinema with Zach Griffith and Brett Sexton, a part of the Running Hook Podcast Network. Welcome into Circle City Cinema. I'm your host, Zach Griffith. I'm joined by my co-host, Brett Sexton. Brettus, how are you? Doing good, doing good. <laughs> Bringing back one of our favorite directors today. Oh, uh, I can't wait. It's been too long. It's been too long, yeah. Brettus. We had a great episode talking about two of his other stellar movies. David Fincher, one of our favorite directors. Uh, the reason for this series, Brettus, Mank. Mm-hmm. It's coming out on Netflix on December 4th. So we're going to get our listeners ready for it. Get ourselves ready for it. Yeah. We're just going on a David Fincher deep dive. Uh, it's his first movie since Gone Girl. It's been six years since he released the movie. Took a little break. Took a nice break. Of course, we know what he did in between. We did uh, some quality TV. Yeah. <laughs> Rest in peace, Mindhunter. Yeah, no... That'll be in one of our episodes. Uh, we're not discussing seven of the social network. As Brett said, we discussed those in past episodes. So if you want to hear our takes on those, go back into the archives of The Running Hook. Check those out. Those are fun, very fun to talk about. Brettus, David Fincher, where does he rank among your favorite directors? I know you're a John Luke Goddard guy, you're a Hitchcock guy. <coughs> I'll, yeah, I'll say... Like current or like active directors, he's definitely in my top five. The people top five, top ten of that are currently making movies. I think that's easier to talk about than like anyone who's ever made. So he just we talk about batting averages for directors. Uh, he's he's hitting he's hitting well. He's got one stinker, and then all the rest are just bangers yeah yeah it, it, one stinger and all the rest if you don't like those it's just personal preference yeah like one of the movies we're going to talk about tonight i'm sure a lot of people don't like it and they're probably all valid reasons but you can't say it's technically a bad movie yeah no if you think he makes bad movies uh we're, we're gonna provide uh, a number in the show notes where you can call <laughs> and get help <laughs> because you need help uh I would say I'm gonna pose this to you, Brett. Among active filmmakers, I'm gonna give you a start bench cut. Okay, I like it. I like it. Fincher, Nolan, Wes Anderson. Mm, I know it's, it's gonna be tough. It's gonna be tough for you. Nolan just came out with a movie. Anderson's got one coming out. Fincher's got one coming. And Fincher's got one coming even sooner than Anderson's. I knew this would conflict Star you. Star bench cut. <laughs> Starting Nolan. Oh! I think Nolan gets the start. Yeah, he's like, you talk about batting averages. He's got like, fuck you batting averages. Interesting. Interesting. I thought, I thought you might uh, go with Fincher in your starting spot. Yeah, it's, it's tough. I thought Nolan would make the cut. I didn't think he'd start him. Though. No, yeah, no. no yeah. And I know you're like, what? He, so I, throw him in there. <laughs> I don't. I don't think Nolan has a bad movie. He doesn't. 
no one doesn't have an Aliens 3. No, he doesn't. So I think that edges him out. Like he's, he's like LeBron. He's in like his 20th year, but he's still on the all-star team. <laughs> somehow. Still the finals. Yeah. I think I might have to bench Anderson. And I think I might have oh. to cut Fincher, even though this is a whole episode dedicated to him. It's oh. oh. <laughs> tough. It's tough. You're killing me. And there's just something about you put the dagger in me. Wes Anderson movies, and you could talk about the depth of content or whatever themes he's discussing, but from like technical aspects, the way he moves the camera, his framing, the lighting, costume set, there's just something special. And I don't know, aesthetically or otherwise, a director that you could almost immediately say, call out their movie. It's such a unique look. And I mean, it's the same for Fincher. There's certain elements in his movies, but I think if someone's never, has not watched all of Fincher's movies, at the start of the game, just from the first opening scene, someone might not be able to go, oh, this is a David Fincher no. movie. No. But from like the opening scene of Fantastic Mr. Fox or Moonrise Kingdom or Budapest Hotel, you'd go, this is a Wes Anderson movie. There's bombs. Yeah. There's no doubt in my mind. Yeah. That's yeah. why I think he might edge into my bench spot, but that's tough. Those are, it's like you got lucky and you got three all-stars on your team and you got to decide who to put in there. <laughs> I gave you the Warriors. That's what I gave you. Yeah, you gave me a stacked <laughs> roster. I gave you a 2010 Kentucky is what I gave you. <laughs> uh, but, Bredis, you mentioned Alien 3. Yeah. David Fincher had the misfortune of directing Alien 3. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the floor here. We're not going to be discussing Alien 3 in our series yeah. because tell us why. Tell us why we're not discussing it. Uh, because I don't think David Fincher would want us to discuss it, honestly. <laughs> but you well, say the, the unfortunate, it, in some ways it might be fortunate because the, it's a great looking movie. I will say that. It, visually, it's a very cool looking movie. The concept's neat. And he was, I think... He was 27 years old, like his first movie. So to get a franchise like this, even if it didn't like blow up at the box office, it still did some good, but there's all kinds of stories and stuff about the studio's input and ruining this experience for him. And I found a 2017 interview with Holt McKinley, who's been in Fight Club, who was in Aliens 3, he was in seven as well. He's one of Fincher's guys. Yeah. You've seen him in a lot of his movies. He's been in Mindhunter. Yeah. Um, and here's a little bit, here's some quotes from that interview where he said, the problem he had was that the studio took it away from him and recut it and kind of destroyed it, which is why the director's cut is so much better. I mean, he was 27 years old. It was his first movie. Oh, okay. I've never seen director's cut. Yeah. It was his first movie, so they could get away with it. Nobody would do that to David now after the success of Seven, which is a masterpiece. He doesn't have those problems, which is true. No one would ever no. cut or no studio is going to step over it. But it gets interesting the more you read because he details kind of how Fincher felt about everything that went down. And Specifics? After Alien 3 underperformed at the domestic box office and was deemed inferior to its predecessors by critics, Fincher didn't just disown the film, citing deadlines and studio interference as reasons to why it failed. 
but he insisted that he would rather get colon cancer than direct another picture. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> Which I had heard before that early on that he thought about not wanting to direct movies, but I didn't know it was to that length that he was just ready to drop it. It was such a horrible experience day in and day out going to set and having the studio interfere with shit and mess up his film that he was like, I don't want to deal with this shit. I'm not hurting for like work. What year was that? What year was alien three? Um, 93. Yeah. Um, it was nine ninety two. But yeah, that's a good but, point you made earlier because all he had done before that was music videos and stuff. Yeah, so he was getting quality work all the time, but yeah. he didn't have an opportunity this big, which is why he took it. But then, unfortunately, that first experience was just tainted. Right. But it was interesting that it goes. The article goes on to say that Andrew Kevin Walker's script for Seven helped change Fincher's mind, though, especially because of the final scene of the film. Mm-hmm. So luckily, luckily he met some less disgusting people in Hollywood, given some interesting projects and he got to show how good he was. And then studios backed off, which I never get because it's usually just disassociated, like big wigs that try to give notes because they're like, I think the kids or I think audiences will like this or do that. It's like, well, if you're paying so much money for this, you're paying millions of dollars for this movie to hire these actors and, paying millions of dollars for this director let them direct well that's what it is brett they they think well we're giving the money out we decide how the movie's made yeah but it's like you're giving all that money out because this is a skilled person you want it's such a weird i always mention it when it comes to movies that depict like high school or middle school and it always seems like someone is out of touch writes those scenes right because they're all almost horrible the way they right. depict stuff like that. And it's the same thing of like someone that's super out of touch, like I'm giving all this money, I think it should be like this. But you're not listening to the man who's like writing or talk to the screenwriters, looking at the story, coming up day in and day out with actors. So just need to be more trust and more faith. And also, he was under enough pressure anyway because the first Alien, one of the greatest movies of all time. Yeah. The second movie, Aliens, one of the greatest sequels of all time. Yeah. So he's under enough pressure anyway. Why is the studio getting up his ass? That's probably why. Because we're like, we have two certified classics here. We need we want a successful third trilogy movie. And they were like, we need to make them like the others. It, honestly, it probably would have been. I guarantee there was some studio head that was talking about nostalgia things of like what they liked about Alien and Aliens. Like... James Cameron directed Aliens. Yeah. Do, do you think it's a stretch to say David Fincher is a better director than James Cameron? No, because I think they make wildly different movies. So why wouldn't you let him just say, here, David, here, take, yeah. take the controls, do it yourself. Just let us know when you're done. Probably, yeah, also because they probably couldn't, they were probably afraid to say shit to Cameron in that time. Oh, yeah. Oh, he was coming off T2 and <laughs> True Lies. James Cameron, Cameron was probably like, I don't fucking need you. <laughs> I'm doing you a favor. Oh, no, he was coming off Terminator 1. Yeah, he's like, I'm doing you a favor. Yeah. Directing this movie. <laughs> Even now, like, just having his Cameron's name attached as a producer is like, oh, oh, God, okay, this movie's got some people behind it. 
You know, what do you think David Fincher's Titanic looks like? <laughs> Shit. Do they both die? <laughs> they both die? <laughs> they probably both die in like the second act. Like you think those are the two main characters, but then there's like someone else ends the movie. The cow wins. <laughs> Billy Zane wins. Gets the diamond. <laughs> Titanic directed by David Fincher. Shit. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that's why we're not talking about Alien Three, folks. He, David Fincher disowned it, so uh, out of respect <laughs> to the man himself, we're not going to talk about it. We're not going to make him relive that pain. Uh, Redis, moving on to uh, our newest segment: Good things we've seen lately, movie or TV. What have you seen that piqued your interest? What have I seen recently? Last time you for the show, I've been rewatching Mindhunter. Yep. On Netflix. A classic. I'm, I'm almost done with season two, which is the last season, unfortunately. And <sighs> it's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. It, it, it makes me sad. It makes me sad that I'm almost done again because <laughs> I know it's over. Yeah. I know there's no more coming. Maybe. It's like, Maybe it's like someday. Why, it's like why I never watched season three of uh, Daredevil. <laughs> I've been pushing you to watch it. Because I'm going to get excited only to realize that nothing is going to follow this. <sighs> There's nothing more. But uh, speaking of sequels, I did start rewatching uh, Godfather Part 2 again. Oh, why is that? Just because? Uh, recommended scenes. Like I've talked a story about how oh, I yeah. fall at 2 a.m. before because I got a <laughs> scene recommended on YouTube. Just... A few different scenes were recommended. Watched them. I just got reminded, and I was like, I might as well just throw it on. I got four hours to kill. Yeah, I got nothing to do all day. Yeah, I definitely have to watch in chunks. (laughs) Oh, you know that reminds me. I pulled up because I was watching Mindhunter last night in bed on my phone, and pulled up Netflix the app. When what comes up? What do I see first in the app? But the Irishman, <laughs> and I'm just like son of a bitch. I'm gonna rewatch that again. <laughs> I got three hours to kill. <laughs> uh, not tonight, though. Not tonight. <laughs> I don't have three and a half hours in my back pocket. Can't do it. <laughs> Moving into our first movie of the night, The Game, released and in much, 1997. Much less well known, I feel like. Right. I feel Adventure like... Film. I mean, we talked before we started. We looked... Well, I went to the IMDb pages. Yeah. Tell us about that. Fight, Fight Club has almost 2 million reviews. 1.8 million. The game has 340,000. That's... Yeah, it just goes to show you. And it's surprising because 7 was a banger. Yeah. It was a financial success. And he's got big stars in this movie. He's got Michael Douglas and Sean Penn. Yeah, he's got huge stars in this movie. <laughs> I don't really know why it didn't uh, do well at the box office. We'll get into it in the fun facts, but it didn't do too hot for us. It's, uh, it's an involved movie. There's a lot of people that go to the movie theater for escapism. So they love their transformers they love they're just yeah. escape from reality type <laughs> movies and there's a lot of movies like this movie makes you think call it what it is brad <laughs> call transformers what it is art 
Brainless. I'll call it art. Brainless because, art. Because Michael Bay is an artist <laughs> who shits money. He's an auteur. <laughs> but again, anyway, I mean, continue. Yeah, this is just a movie that from the get-go, very early on, almost te- in a way feels like it's telling you, the viewer, that you're going to need to pay attention to shit. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. you're not going to be able to trust anybody in this film. You're not going to be able to trust any single person. Not a soul. From the, like, from a very early on. So you're constantly looking at how someone's acting, what someone says. All and, you can do, you can trust Michael Douglas. That's about it. Yeah, and he doesn't know what the fuck's going yeah. on for, <laughs> for 90% of the movie. <laughs> uh, so released in 1997. This was his... Uh, this came out two years after Seven. Uh, directed by, of course, David Venture. Produced by his wife, Sion Chaffin, and Steve Golan. Written by John Broncado and Michael Ferris. Edited by James Haygood, who edited many of Fincher's uh, music videos that he did before going into film. Cinematography by Harris Savitas. Music by the legend, Howard Shore, who did the Lord of the Rings score. Iconic score, Brennan. Yeah. <laughs> it's starring Michael Douglas, Sean Penn, and Deborah Kara Unger. 7.8 out of 10 IMDb. Roger Ebert loved it. Three and a half out of four stars. Yeah. Bredis, let's discuss your first viewing of this film. You know which viewing I'm talking about. <laughs> Why don't you set the scene for us? <laughs> it's not even fair to say first viewing. Because <laughs> I saw about the first 10 minutes and knew that it wasn't going to be worth my time. It was mean. Sit through it. It was a mean thing I did to you. Yes. It was very rude. <laughs> Not a proper way to watch the film. <laughs> so, Bredis and our friend Ben, who was on our 20th anniversary pod, they, had, they were hydrated, let's say. Yeah. You, guys, you guys were hydrated. Thirst was quenched. <laughs> and uh, we were winding down. Everybody wanted to watch a movie, and I said, I got one. And I threw on the game, which, uh, if you've seen the game, yeah. Not a movie to watch when you are uh I did save everybody though. I <laughs> I I at least had the the knowledge to say this is not the movie for right now. <laughs> like a few minutes in, I just told you to turn it off. <laughs> Partly because I don't think anyone else like really cared, but I respected Fincher and the movie enough to know that it's not worth my time right now to watch the movie. <laughs> Oh shit! Yeah, no, no, that was a mean thing I did to you. Ben. <laughs> it was a mean thing. Uh, we talked about how Seven was his last movie before the this game came, came out. This came out before the game, actually. Right, Seven came out before the game. Yeah, my bad. Oh, I thought you. Yeah, I, th- I thought you said Fight Club earlier. That's why I got confused. Uh, departures and similarities to Seven, Bredis. Definitely the twist. He's back with its twist endings. Yeah. Yeah. Departure's not as dark, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah, the I mean the ending of the movies obviously are where they differ. One is very like almost a romantic comedy in a way. 
that final scene of the game you could almost take out and it be in some rom-com from the 90s she's she's like you want to get coffee with me at the airport and he kind of smiles and the camera slowly (laughs) backs out from the city like if you just look at that that's a romantic comedy movie (laughs) compared to the ending in seven which just makes you feel bad wait that's not romantic comedy movie seven (laughs) i thought it was a rom-com it is i've been wrong all these years yeah you know it's the titular (laughs) rom-com but yeah you can definitely leave the the theater let's say from the game in a decent mood where leaving the theater for seven you're just kind of like fuck they both make you think but seven doesn't seven makes you feel like a piece of shit whereas yeah does not the, the game's almost fun in a sense because it makes you think about what if that happened to me? You and your friends yeah. would be like, what if for your birthday I did this and you didn't know? So it kind of is that fun aspect when you leave the theater where, yeah, the game's like last scene, just like sitting in like a taxi as it drives away with a soulless stare in your eyes. <laughs> what was in the box? <laughs> That's one of the things I like about Fincher's because there's a lot of similarities between these movies. There's also... He doesn't make the same movie over and over. Yeah. It's it's always different. Like yeah. seven in the game, a lot in common, like you mentioned. A lot of differences. Yeah, I think I mean I think that this and Fight Club might be his two most similar movies. Really? Yeah, I mean the themes and I mean I guess like second guessing and all that kind of twist endings uh, as well. Twist endings, yeah. I mean this I mean, maybe the same. I'm trying to think of another one of his movies that might be similar to the game. Like Gone Girl is not similar at all. Benjamin Button is not similar at all. Panic Room's not. No. I mean, I guess Seven is... I mean, like Seven, Fight Club, and the game probably... The most similar. That feel like you could almost say the same movie in a sense because they have a lot of the same elements of a venture film that they all three have twist endings all of them <laughs> yeah they all three have twist endings and there's that element of not being able to trust a lot of people in the movies right like you can't trust anyone really in seven you can't trust anyone in the game no you can't trust anyone in fight club no you can't best scene got a few here you want to you want to take it <laughs> Yep. We got Nicholas and Conrad's first lunch. Nicholas is a run-in when he goes to the CRS office. The interaction he has with the clown <laughs> and when the news starts talking to him. Nicholas finds his hotel room trashed. The cab nosedive into the river. <laughs> CRS ambush. Nicholas at the rock bottom of his life. And then the final scene. It's uh, uh, a lot to pick from here. A lot to a lot to digest. Nicholas and Conrad lunch I like because you get some insight in who Nicholas is. You yeah. can tell all these guys they're brothers, but they're not tight. Yeah, this is not uh, like you and Dean Sexton getting along. Yeah. Kind of resent <laughs> each other a little bit. The the cab nosedive came out of nowhere. <laughs> he was the first, terrified. The first time you watch it, because like all these scenarios, he's been like getting out of kind of close. He just barely scathes by. This is your like, shit. <laughs> when the taxi driver rolls out of the cab, 
and the car is barreling towards the and looks back the laughing. Water. Yeah, he's laughing. He's proud of himself. <laughs> the cab nosedive, probably the most like what the fuck scene. Yeah, like is he? Is they gonna kill him? We can. I mean, we can get into the. We have a section more about this a little later, but. Yeah, when they explain all the shit of like, yeah, when the cab went in, we had a team of divers like prepared to go in and get you if you didn't get out and shit. And I was like, I mean, maybe, but there's still a chance he fucking drowns. <laughs> what if you hadn't thought to use that uh, window opener thing? That was, that was my first thought of like, I might have been in panic mode and not have thought about looking for the crank wrench right. in my jacket pocket. What if he couldn't swim? There's a lot of factors they were hoping were true. <laughs> they were banking on a huge lawsuit. I guess maybe the test they did, they discovered like background information on him that he didn't know and all that. Maybe. Maybe. One of the questions, can you swim? <laughs> like to Nicholas, swim? Nicholas goes to CRS. At what point do you think during that testing he's just filling in random bubbles? <laughs> He's there all day. <laughs> it's like, Jesus. Jesus Christ. How much longer will this be? A couple more hours. He said that three hours ago. <laughs> like, he's, he's very impatient. He's very, like, yeah, you know. He's on a millionaire schedule. Yeah. The running with the clown and the TV talks to Nicholas. TV talks to Nicholas is, I, I like that scene a lot. That's a super cool scene. Because yeah. that... That to me lets you know that they've that their reach is like limitless. And they can like have someone that works on the news like that that works for them and can have messages like that shows you okay they can get to you wherever you are. Some Warren Buffett son of a bitch is funding this thing. Yeah, because they, they they have money. Yeah, I mean how many? Money. I mean you see at the end like how many actors they employ. To ensure that almost anyone you run into will actually be working for them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Nicholas finds the trash hotel room. That scene was just like frantic. Even with all the camera movement going on in that scene, it just felt frantic. Looked frantic. Yeah. That scene to me made me think of Memento, maybe because of the Polaroids, but because it was oh, yeah. like he couldn't remember if this was actually his room if he did this shit because he was seeing photos with someone that looked like him. But he wasn't sure, so I was getting super, super weird memento vibes. Well, I got a when we get to our questions segment. Uh, I, I have an interesting question that pertains to the hotel room. I'll, we'll get we'll get to that. <laughs> Talked about the cabin nose dive. Uh, the CRS ambush was uh, first viewing. You're like, okay, so if he does anything he's not supposed to, they're gonna kill him. Yeah. <laughs> He looks into the smoke detector and basically gives him the middle finger. <laughs> so that that was a that was a wild scene. And then uh, yeah. Nicholas hitting rock bottom, buried alive in Mexico. <laughs> that's tough. Yeah, that's tough, Brennis. He was ready to just end it all. I think. <laughs> and then the ending scene. I don't know what I'm going to pick. I really don't. Uh, Maybe the ending scene. 
you could go with the ending scene is really good because I, I don't know if you thought of this but, but how fucked it is it's very fucked because when he jumps off and they have that there that means like through all the tests that they figured out that how his father died jumping about and they kill himself they assumed that this would probably drive him to that point where he would want to kill himself so they're prepared for that outcome which is just fucked the same age his father was when he killed himself yeah so they're so, like planning all that, knowing he was probably going to push him to that point. Also, again, the, the gun stuff. Yeah. Like, we, uh, we sweeped your house. <laughs> there are no guns. <laughs> just like, how, what if he actually had a real gun? Yeah. And he just shot his brother dead. Just shot Sean Penn. Yeah. yeah. What happens then? Like, well, game's over. <laughs> game's over five minutes earlier than it's supposed to be. I don't know. Well, what do you think? What do you think is the best scene? The ending scene is uh, really, really good because you're thinking of this going one way, that he's kind of cracked it, he's broken in, it's the end, it's the end, and it's one thing. A lot of twists and turns in the ending scene. Yeah. Uh, Nicholas Rock Bottom's good. Yeah. Yeah, because you really think it's like, shit, he's lost everything. His accounts have been drained. He has nothing. He had to sell the, his watch. Yeah. He's he, the had only to, remnant he had of to crawl and beg to his ex-wife. I need to and ask car. And ask for her goddamn car. <laughs> <laughs> I am very dangerous right now. <laughs> I know we have it in our in a comedy section, so I won't go too into it yet, but when he shows up at CRS at the end, that's a fucking hell of a scene. <laughs> <laughs> the look on everyone's face is priceless. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> He's back. I'm back. It's like in a, I know you're not a Harry Potter guy, but you've probably seen the scene. When the, <laughs> the, what do you, the minister of magic sees Voldemort and he's like, <laughs> So in the beginning of the movie, we get some home videos from the Van Orden family. I want to know your thoughts on that. I I, I liked it. I like it. Uh, it didn't like spoil the ending, but I just assumed that at some point he was going to confront the way his dad died or something was going to come back to the way he jumped off and died because they were just making such a huge point about it. But I like it. I think it's important. I think it makes that ending scene hit harder. Like yeah, I said, because you know that it's like he's the same age as his dad when his dad died, how his dad dies. I think it's a really important scene that through all the shit that happens, you could forget about yeah. maybe by the end. Talk about nosedives. Yeah. His dad. <laughs> Nosedive off the house. Shit. And there's no, there no bag waiting to catch him. <laughs> no, the concrete was there to break his fall. That caught his ass. Uh, no, I, I like the home videos. Yeah, it's a good um, element. Uh, thoughts on Nicholas's house, Brett? It seems lonely considering he lives in there by himself and his housekeeper, maid, whatever, lives in a pool house. <laughs> so he's really alone. Like, she doesn't get to stay in the actual house with him. He's, no. I mean, he has dinner that one night after his brother gives him the card. He's just eating, like, 
and alone in the kitchen and then watching TV. I mean, he's watching like Fox business. Yeah. On a small TV, like 25 feet away. Right. <laughs> I'm not surprised seem- he's watching Fox business. No, <laughs> I'm a little surprised he's uh, watching it on TV like that. Yeah. Even back in 97, you had to have better, at least bigger TVs. There were flat screens back then. Right. Yeah, at least bigger TVs than that. I'm not asking for you to get a flat screen. I'm just saying <laughs> something bigger than that. I mean, I can get that at Goodwill right now. Come on. Come on, Van Orton. Come on. You're supposed to be this millionaire? Come on. Uh, thoughts on the score? I liked it. I think it's, yeah, I think it's subtle. It's not like a, a seven score where it's like iconic, but I think it fits very well. It's undertoned. I like the piano. Yeah. The performances. Might be my favorite Michael Douglas performance. Honestly, I think it is my favorite. I mean, he... Is this or Wall Street? Yeah. I mean, he's perfect in this movie. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about uh, Michael Douglas as Nicholas Van Orden. Here's Roger Ebert on Michael Douglas. He says he's the right actor for the role. He can play smart, he can play cold, and he can play angry. He's also subtle enough that he never arrives at an emotional plateau before the film does and never overplays the process of his inner change. Couldn't have said it better, Rob. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it, it really is fantastic acting on his end. It's amazing. I couldn't find well, – I'm getting a little ahead of us. Uh, casting what-ifs, I couldn't find any. It was like they wanted Michael Douglas all the way, and I could see why. Yeah, which, I mean, it usually does work. If someone's written really well and either the writer or director, someone has a specific actor in mind, there's usually a good reason for it. They've seen their work. They know they feel something about them as an actor that they could really pull off a nuance to that character that no one else could, and it shows. Sean Penn as Conrad Van Orden. Doesn't get a lot of screen time, but he makes the most of it. Yeah, I mean, he does what he's supposed to do. Very believable. He's fun. Oh, very believable. We know Sean Penn's crazy. We know that. <laughs> and that comes through in their uh, shouting match. In yeah, the street. In the street. <laughs> you ran on it, Nikki. These keys. Some deep-seated anger coming out in the sh- in this shouting match. Oh, yeah. And, the person uh, comes outside. It's like, <laughs> Go the fuck back inside. I'm calling the police. I'm calling the cops. And then uh, Deborah Kara Unger is Christine. I thought she did a hell of a job. Yeah. This is honestly the only movie I've ever seen her in. I don't recognize her in anything else. I've never seen her in anything else. She did a hell of a job. A question about Nicholas, Brett. Is he an asshole? Or is he just arrogant? And you mentioned before, it's probably like a bit of both. I mean, we see his his weird childhood, his upbringing, how wealthy he is, super cutthroat, but he he gets made a fool of in the movie. He's a control freak. Especially when he goes to fire that guy and he can't open his suitcase. Yeah. (laughs) He's a... To the T, a control freak, and the whole movie's about him losing power over his decisions and control of his life. So it's a literal hell for him, which is a testament to this 
CRS making a game aptly made for each individual person. <laughs> but what's funny to me, I don't know if we can get into it now or not, because the game is like specifically tailored to how they perform and the way they answer questions. And da, 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 does that mean that he like wanted or it works for him to get like shot at because he gets close to figuring it out? He like would want to uh, be left for dead in Mexico. Like those all work in his psyche. Like if, cause it's perfectly tailored for each person. <laughs> so like, that's what he, cause maybe he took the test and they realized that he's a smart guy. He's probably going to go out of his way to discover shit. So that's why they have the CRS ambush to go. Hey, if you try to discover shit, they're going to kill you. But then it's like, some of the stuff doesn't make as much sense. Like why the driving a cab off and to be drowned? Why was that a part of the game? Did he display an aptitude for <laughs> quick thinking under pressure? This, this is well, an interesting thought you have during the movie. Well, I'll bring up another question now since you went into that. Does Nicholas wish he was in the hotel room? Let's think about what's going on in the hotel room, Bredis. <laughs> There's a porno going on. Yeah. There it's are drugs. on a loop. <laughs> There's coke everywhere. Drugs on the table. All kinds of alcohol everywhere. Some... Well, he thinks he was set up because he goes to blow up on the guy he tried to fire <laughs> and just embarrasses himself. In front of the guy's wife and uh, daughter. Yeah, he's trying to fucking blackmail me, just throwing these Polaroids all over the room. I uh, apologize. He could have, He could barely even say it. I'm sorry. Like I mean, like he was just backing out of the room and stumbling over his words. I don't even think he got it out. Yeah. I don't even know what he said. A testament to his character. <laughs> I don't think he's ever apologized. <laughs> Some questions. Brett, what if I did this for your birthday? Your birthday was uh, on Sunday, right? Yes, it was. What if I did this for your birthday? That's tough. We want to get in. How would you react? We had a, yeah, we had a discussion before we started of like what's stopping. Cause we have like, he doesn't have a fake gun. That they remove all the potential like weapons from their home or whatever. But there's a specific scene where, you know, Catherine and him, where he takes her to like a cabin that they own or whatever that's kind of remote. And he's kind of learning that she might be in on it. What's in the, the contract or the, <laughs> you know, safety net of the game that would stop Nicholas from beating her to death? Because if he did this for me and I was like losing it, couldn't trust anybody, anyone around me at all. I was like losing it, but I was kind of on a loop of breaking it down. What was stopping me from snapping <laughs> at a Denny's and killing a man in cold blood? Does, the, does your game cover that? Does the, do they cover <laughs> accidental murders? The, the, the lawyers take care of that, Brett. It's not that's not because what if CRS showed up to the cabin and Catherine's like skull is caved in and Nick is nowhere to be found? <laughs> do they call someone? Yeah, so uh okay, so bad news. He killed one of the actors. <laughs> what if what you- he killed uh, the guy he took hostage at the zoo? Oh yeah. What if he just domed his ass? Yeah, just kill. Yeah, kills him in front of his kids at the zoo. What, what happens? Do they sweep it under the rug so the organization doesn't get caught? But uh, you know the game. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Sometimes <laughs> you get killed in front of your kids at the zoo. Part of the game. 
but that was just a thought I had while watching. Now, and you bring up that question of what if it happened to you? Yeah, what if you get pushed to your limit? And I know they do the psych test and they were like prepare and make sure it's tailored and you wouldn't do anything, but there's a lot of what ifs. Well, his brother gave it to him. Yeah. So what if uh, Dean Sexton, friend of the show, did this to you? What if uh, Dean calls you out for lunch? Yeah. New birthday. And he says, here, Brett, uh, I have this CRS uh, certificate. Go check it out. What are you doing? Check well, it out. after seeing the movie. You going? I think I might go. <laughs> what? You're going? I might go. <laughs> it's tough, though, because it would take a long time to recover after it ended, but you would be kind of fucked for a little bit. Uh, like, is, is the game really over? Even after everything ends and you have the big party, is it really over? Even after you shoot your brother in the stomach? Yeah. And I jump <laughs> off a roof. Jump off a building? He looked disappointed at first when he like fell on that like mat to catch him. I'm not dead. He was like, God damn it. I'm, the game is keeping me alive. <laughs> that's at first. That's what I, my first time watching. That's what I thought was like the game won't let him die until everything is like completed or something or other. What I want to know is here's another question. He was knocked up or knocked up. <laughs> he was pregnant. <laughs> yeah. They, that's part of the game too. They impregnated him. <laughs> he was knocked out enough long enough for them to ship his ass from San Francisco to Mexico? Yeah, they sedated his ass for a few hours. <laughs> My God. But, all, yeah, what if he snapped in Mexico? Do they have enough people in Mexico to stop him from going on a rampage? The, the policia. You think they yeah. are a part of the game, too? Yeah, are they involved, or they just gun him down in the street like Pablo Escobar? <laughs> Got him down on the roof. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's interesting. No money, no car, no phone. That's, that's pure willpower to get back home. I mean, we see, he walks into a diner and begs anyone. I have $18 for a ride to San Francisco. Anybody, please. Jumping the fence to his own house. Yeah. Oh, he meant it when he said, I'm a dangerous guy right now. Oh, yeah. Oh, here's a scene. How about when he's showering when he gets back from Mexico? Oh, God, he is... I can't can't imagine how dirty he was, God. Uh, Good thing the fucking uh, water worked. Probably felt like a new man. Jeez, that had to be the best shower of his life. Uh, What if Nicholas just missed the landing spot at the end? What if he just uh, face-planted in the hotel? Yeah, he really had to jump off that specific part of the building. Yeah. If he's like a couple of feet to the right, there's a murder they've got to figure out. What if he decided not to jump through the glass and just went for the street? Yeah. What then? Did they have another landing spot just in case? What was the plan? There's, there's a lot of risks at CRS. A lot of calculated risks. A lot of collateral they don't care about. And our last question, is Conrad just a shat brother? Does he just suck as a brother? Or was this uh I think it was good intention because he was like, what do you get for the man who has it all? And 
we presumably he did the game and thought it was fun, but we also learned about his character that he's a much more wild, carefree person. So, I mean, they don't hang out all the time. They're kind of distant brothers, but to know that he's kind of a big shot control freak, this would kind of send him for a whirlwind. I think it came from good a place though, but it definitely, I think it did. I think it definitely did, but it's tough. I don't think I'd be talking to your brother for a couple weeks. (laughs) You just, I was like, I just need space from you. You're not talking to Dean for a couple weeks. Yeah, I, I just need to get away. <laughs> Some comedy. Conrad lights one up in the restaurant. Just lights up a cig. That doesn't care. <laughs> Again, much more carefree than his brother. Uh, Nicholas has a call with his ex-wife on his birthday. That doesn't go very well, does it, Brad? It does not go. <laughs> a dude out of toilet paper in the airport restroom. <laughs> Nicholas chooses not to help him out. Help me out, man. Uh, Nicholas can't open his suitcase, so he starts throwing it around in public. <laughs> That's a, yeah. That's an unhinged Nicholas. Yeah, he's he's at that point he is starting to lose it. <laughs> Uh, Nicholas drenched in wine at the restaurant. That comes out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> Nicholas threatens the private investigator with a gun. A real gun, it seems. Yeah. Uh, his face, when his accounts are drained, his face is drained. Yeah. Uh, everything, the life. That, that might have been the most relieving thing is when I mean, find out it was all just bullshit that his accounts were not actually drained. When he calls the Zurich bank and he's like, balance. That's not possible. <laughs> the attempted carjacking near the end. Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> Just casually pulls the gun. And the guy quickly backs off. And then the actor's room, you touched on it. That might have been the funniest thing. Yeah, for me it was. Because yeah, that PI that he threatened drops his lunch. And yeah. runs. Yeah, he knows. He's like, yeah, you shouldn't be here. How the fuck? Another question. Does Nicholas wish he was in that hotel room? Does he, he wish he had been yeah, part of the orgy? You mentioned it earlier. Uh, <laughs> probably. It seems like an orgy went on in there, right? Take, take the edge off of things. Some coke, some sex. It's a good afternoon. <laughs> Fred's bitch. Anything. They're like those small little pokey hole things of what if he doesn't get out it's like the crs's contingency plan in a way those are the only like gripes the movie's great though like i love the fact that you talk about like the draining of the bank accounts that you think it's one movie and then it ends up being something else you think it is like oh shit this this is a scam this is what the movie is it's he goes to play this game especially when he has to fight with his brother like they did this to me he's kind of losing it too they just do this. They take all your money because they got all your information. The testing, it's all believable up to that point. You're like, oh shit, that's the movie's going to be about him actually trying to get back and fight CRS and expose all this. And then it ends up being back to the original, just the game. So I think it's such a, a genius movie. But all my bitches are those little weird kind of playing around with the movie like we have been, have been doing of what if this, Not how, how could they know that? Yeah, what if he jumps off a little bit? But it all falls back to the suspension of disbelief. It's a game. It's this world. It all works for that purpose. 
A new segment, Brett. Your favorite shot. I'll give you mine since you were curious to know. You uh, incorrectly guessed. <laughs> what did you think it was, Brett? Knowing my, my good friend Zach, I assumed it was a Polaroid of Christine's bra. <laughs> How dare you? Feel <laughs> some respect. Think so lowly of me. That was my second favorite shot. <laughs> favorite shot is Nicholas falling at the end. Oh, yeah. With intertwined with the home video. That's a, yeah, that's a hell of, because you think this is it. Yeah. Like, oh, he's, okay, just like his father. That's my favorite shot. Symbolism, uh, the correlation. Yeah. Because you could have, you know, you could have forgotten that his dad died like that. Mm -hmm. So I think intertwining the home video was genius. Yeah. Similar to that of, like, depth of a shot. I don't know specifically, but it's kind of when I think it's a closer up shot when he comes face to face with the clown very early on. Yeah. When he just hears the clown because you dive into it more. He he's made to be a fool. He's this crazy power hungry control freak. Oh, I didn't even entire, think about that. And the entire movie he is stripped of that. So he's just a fool. That's solid, Brett. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, it's something like you very look into it, but yeah, it's something with like compounded with the rest of the movie. They clowned the, him. Yeah. And the theme of what you know David Fincher was going for with with the movie. I think is really kind of neat. But yeah, I yours I really love that final shot. Or not final shot, but basically. At the end, yeah. They clowned his ass. Yeah, there's so many. The shot of him in the elevator with the gun. It's a brief one, but I like that yeah. one too. The lighting in that one's great. There's just so many. If you if you take a Fincher movie and try and pick out the best shot, good luck. Yeah. Because this, this guy's awesome. Um, do we care? Do we care that this was all legal? <laughs> yes. You care? I care big time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is one of those like little bitches of like, do they clear all this with the city? Like, they're allowed to do all these elaborate stunts, and it's yeah, it's very funny if you go back to layers. It kind of makes it less fun in a way to try to poke that many holes. But yeah, it is an interesting topic regarding this film. How do they do all this? Yeah, where do they? How do they get the right to do all this? Like when the cab does the nosedive into the river, what yeah. if uh, some poor son of a bitch is uh, driving in the intersection and gets T-boned? Yeah, you got to hope that he's a good enough driver to dog. Because he's running red lights. Right. But at the end, all the lights are like, they're blinking. So who knows? CRS could have <laughs> someone working on the grid. It's all the suspension of disbelief because of how they set up CRS. Any plot hole that you could think of, you could just assume, well, CRS just does whatever. So it's kind of bulletproof that the way that Fincher does that is setting up CRS in that way. And then uh, do we care that Nicholas asks out basically a con artist at the end of the movie? I don't know. You could look at it as good or bad. Part of me thought it was weird because it's, Tonally, it seems kind of strange for the movie because, like I said at the beginning of the pod, it feels like a rom com. You want to go yeah. get coffee with me at the airport because she's going to do essentially this and what Australia, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, Australia. Yeah, they're going to do this with some, to some other poor schmuck. 
whose brother put him into it. Up to yeah. Him. So yeah, I don't know. It's interesting, but it could be playing back into like being a fool or all of that, that he's willing to, after all this, barely knows anything about her, that she's been lying to him since the minute they have met. That he's like in- intrigued, interested in her. Well, he's got that Polaroid on his mind. That's true. <laughs> Just at home by himself. He kept the Polaroid. He kept it. He definitely got in the car. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah, he got in that car. He got in the car. He went to the airport. Casting what ifs. See what you think of this. Jodie Foster was originally in the Sean Penn role. Hmm. Uh, she was replaced when she wanted the character to be Nicholas's daughter instead. Yeah, that kind of makes sense if you've got a script anything ready and an actor's like, I would like you to change this entire character. I'm sure David yeah. just said, no. <laughs> Bye. Not going to do that. Kind <laughs> <laughs> of fucking worked pretty hard on where I got, so I'm going to go ahead and do what I planned on doing. I mean, she ended up working with him in Panic Room. Yeah. So, just wasn't right for this project. No, nah, I guess not. And then uh, Jeff Bridges was also offered the Sean Penn role. Nah, there's just something about... I don't think it works. That character has to be someone like Sean Penn. Right. Because Sean Penn seems like he is coked out 100% of the time, a little bit. It's varying degrees. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes he's just a little bit coked out. Sometimes he's real coked out. And this movie, for the subtleties, he's got to be like a little bit kind of fidgety and it's just perfect for Sean Penn. Also, are you buying... Like, I kind of bought that Jeff Bridges... Or not Jeff Bridges. Sean Penn and Michael Douglas could be brothers. Yeah, they're not... I'm not, I'm not buying. Yeah. Yeah, Jeff Bridges, no, I'm not buying. They look no. wildly different. There's, you can kind of pull some similarities into how, you know, Sean Penn and him look. Like, if... You get if you uh, dyed Michael Douglas's hair black like Sean Penn's, I'd buy it even yeah. more. Yeah, but I didn't think it was too much of a stretch. No, not at all. The fun facts of the game: seventy million dollar budget, hundred nine point four million box office. Not great. Not great for spending seventy mil. Not great. Uh, it was a hit with the critics though. Mm-hmm. All the mansion scenes were completed in one day at the famous Filoli Mansion in San Francisco. That's probably why they probably like, we'll let you shoot here, but you've got a day. Yeah. We don't want you fucking around messing up the house, so get the shit done. <laughs> How about that wild uh, graffiti scene in the, in the that, that had to stress the homeowners out when they were like told. So we're, we're going to make it look like the mansion has been destroyed defiled you're gonna what <laughs> but they just did that for real that was the last scene they shot them they just fucked off did you catch what the one of the graffiti said going up the stairs i don't think so what nicholas van cocksucker <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> i can just picture fincher he's like now we're gonna spray paint something going up the staircase <laughs> i'm not gonna like it Uh, Nicholas's father who we only see in the home videos played by the Mario voice actor (laughs) Super Mario interesting and then Brett one of your favorites Spike Jones I don't know if you caught it 
I did not recognize him. He plays a paramedic in the final scene. Then again, yeah, you're not really looking for Spike Jones. No. <laughs> I went back. It's quick. You only see his face like, like that. Yeah, I wonder how that worked out if he was just like in town that day for some like other meeting and he was like, yeah, want to be kind of <laughs> half in the background. We ended up returning the favor because he did being John Malkovich a couple years later. Yeah. And Fincher has a cameo. And yes, he does. Yes. So that's nice. Moving on to our final film of the night, Fight Club. Brittis, why don't you take this one? Uh, Fight Club came out two years after the game. It's produced by Art Linson, Sean Chaffin, Ross Grayson Bell, written by Jim Oles from Jumper, which is yeah. a How about that <laughs> polarizing movie, maybe. I feel like it's kind of critically panned. I don't know why. They were the only writing credits I could find for him was Fight Club and Jumper. I support it because it's got our boy in it. Anakin. Hayden Christensen. I'll support it. Uh, edited by James Haygood, cinematography by Jeff Cronwith, music by the Dust Brothers, and then of course stars Brad Pitt, Edward Norton, Helena Bonham Carter, based on the 1996 novel by Chuck Palahniuk. Palahniuk. Hell of a last name. Palahniuk. 8.8 out of 10 on IMDb. The old Raj. Not a fan. Gave it a 2 out of 4. Not a fan. He wasn't alone. He was, yeah, he was definitely not alone. Famously it's, polarized critics, this movie. I feel like this movie is kind of is polarizing because it's like people that like it a lot fucking love it almost to an annoying degree. And people who hate on it stereotype everyone who likes it. Like there's yeah. a lot of stereotypes hovering around this movie. The stereotype is if you like it, you're, you're a frat boy. I feel like this is... And you're you're most likely a douchebag. I feel like people might love to sim with um, Pulp Fiction. Like if people say, oh, my favorite movie is Pulp Fiction or Fight Club, to some people that paints a certain image in their mind of who you are. Yeah. That's not not fair. I know. It uh, unfortunately does this movie dirty. My favorite movie is Fight Club. Oh, you're a dick. Yeah. Like what? No. No. (laughs) I just like good movies, you know? Uh... Let's talk about it. The cultural significance. I think it's easily Fincher's most culturally impactful movie. Yeah. I mean, we've talked through a lot. Yeah. Not maybe we don't think it's his best per se, but definitely there's not a movie in his discography that matches the pop culture relevance of fight club. Do you think based on seven in the game, this was a, pretty big uh, digression from those yeah because there's a lot of similar elements and themes to the game but it just cranks up like the grotesqueness the violence the taboo elements of society to like a thousand almost saying the success he had with the seven in the game he was like how far can I go this is almost a fun game a fun game for him no pun intended to just push the limits like how crazy violent can I get how grotesque can I make these scenes like how wild can I go and some critics panned him for it but it's definitely everything in this movie is turned up to 11 
It's just interesting because I don't think it's fair to say it's a cult film anymore. I think it's too, it's way too popular to be a cult film. Yeah. The thing, the thing about it is it didn't have a great theatrical run. And 1999 was a famously stacked movie year. So in a lot of ways, Fight Club got lost in the shuffle there. Yeah. But it got a second wind, a lot like how nowadays movies or shows can get second wins on Netflix. Mm-hmm. This got a second wind, arguably a first wind in DVD sales. Yeah, I think of one recently is the Avatar The Last Airbender. Yeah. I feel like it would have always been a good and popular show, but when it got put on Netflix, I feel like my timeline on Twitter was flooded with stuff about that show. Well, you and I know that's a hell of a show. Yeah. And I think, I think I, the generation I, behind us. Yeah. It's more for them, you know? Yeah. I, I, I'm not saying it's like a, not a mainstream show or like it, a lot of you haven't seen this little show called Avatar The Last Airbender, but it definitely <laughs> got way more eyes than it ever got on Nickelodeon when it was put on Netflix. And yeah, I, and it's yeah similar to what you were saying with Fight Club. Initially not the most loved or popular movie, but holy shit, did people start to take a liking to it. Like, do you think our dad's generation, this is, do they claim this movie? Or do you think that's our generation? I think it's probably people a little bit older than us, maybe. But probably closer to our, our generation. Maybe like five years older than us. Yeah. Like 30? Pe- people that might have been our age or a little younger when it came out in 1999. Yeah. Senior in high school when it came out. Yeah, this is you're, like, you're claiming it. The typical, yeah, this is like, like we were saying, like someone that's like playing sports, a guy's guy would probably be like, hell yeah. Again, not taking any of the message that Fincher was trying to probably get across. Yeah, no. But was like, I want to start a fight club. Well, uh, we'll get into it in fun facts, but a lot of fight clubs started. Yes. After this movie, which uh, that's not the message of the movie at all. I wonder what David thought about that. He was like, they didn't. They didn't get it at all. (laughs) (laughs) No wonder people hate it. (laughs) Starting fight clubs because of it. Uh, This is a question you and I both uh, kind of agree on. Is this his best film? David Fincher's best film? You and I both said no. No. It damn near might be one of his most fun. I had in our notes, or I didn't put them in our notes, but is it his funniest movie? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, that's a uh, movie there's not yeah. a lot of competition there gone girl's not funny is zodiacs not really funny the social network has a lot of goofy moments yeah seven is not funny the game has funny moments but not funny panicrim's not funny nah i mean yeah, this probably has the most can like recurring like elements of comedy outside of like the social network but it's probably his most fun movie might be yeah. his easiest to turn on because even the social network, which we kind of agree might be his best movie, that or maybe seven. The social the social network isn't it's fast paced, but it's still a biopic, and that's a genre that not everybody likes. Like I mentioned before, my dad just hates that genre. So you might not like it just based on that. Where I feel like Fight Club is just fun. The Zodiac's incredibly long. It's yeah. a slow burn. Gone Girl's a slow burn. Seven's a dark movie. The game's a slower movie. Like, this is just a, especially in the first 
act or act and a half much more lighthearted than a lot of his other movies are. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, Benjamin Button is not lighthearted at all. No. The man so, is aging in reverse. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> he is dying an entire movie. Um, I think the easiest Fincher movie to throw on is Panic Room just because the plot is so simple. That's true, yeah. But I think this is probably second. Just because... Yeah. You can kind of... Once you've seen it a couple times, you can see the twist coming. Yeah. But... By the way, if you haven't seen Fight Club, there's a big twist. <laughs> well, you've had 20 years. <laughs> it's not our fault. Yeah. That's past the, the limitations on spoiler alerts. So uh, what do you think is his best movie? It's a, it's a loaded question. I'm landing on... You know what? In pre-production, I said social network i'm changing my answer seven no changing it to so, so yeah uh again kind of a biopic so i don't think a lot of people will probably pick that as their favorite for fincher it's so good oh it's not my favorite i just think it's the best it's a stellar stellar cast stacked it's fucking stacked cast for zodiac but I still probably have to go with the social network because, I mean, if you haven't heard our pod or we talked about the social network, watch it. We praise it enough there. That was a great I, pod. But whether you adhere to it or not from, like, film school, from studying films, or from – there's no wasted space. It might be the most efficient movie I've ever seen. Now, granted, it's helped out by – um, Aaron Sorkin of yeah. Moneyball and West Wing. It's a perfect script, but there's not a wasted second of film. Nothing drags in that movie. We talked about the length of the movie. It feels like it's an hour 15. It's a two-hour movie. Yeah, and you don't even notice. It's just from a, every a technical aspect is, is maybe as close as one could get to not making any mistakes. I mean, you said in that episode you read the screenplay while watching the movie. Yeah, and it, and I wasn't distracted. I mean, granted, I'd seen it several times, but it wasn't like I couldn't focus on both. It's so quick. The dialogue is so fast and snappy. There's, it's a it's a literally a damn biopic about Mark Zuckerberg in <laughs> and it's the same thing with Sorkin's script and Moneyball. But like, I just I wasn't like I want to know about Facebook. But it's just, damn, is it just pull you in to everything in the movie. You're going to land on that? Social yeah, network? I'll probably go with Social Network. I'm going to go with Zodiac, um, but I'm not gonna. I'm definitely not going to argue with you. I feel like if, if you haven't seen Zodiac, either watch it. I feel like it's also maybe not right. Is like well-known in everyone's mind when you think of David Fincher. But For whatever reason. You, and if you're in the conspiracy theories, it's – Obviously, it's about the Zodiac Killer, which is a very interesting case to look into. So if you like stuff like that, serial killers and all that stuff, it's a fantastic watch. We're going to end uh, – I mean, we're going to have basically a whole episode on Zodiac. Um, I mean, you get pre-MCU RDJ. And Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. 
2007, so it's a year before Iron Man. So you get you get some now heavy hitter A-listers, right? Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, I mean, get out there and see it. I th- is it still on Netflix? I think it is, right? Uh, the last time I watched it, it was, yeah. it was a while ago. I don't know. They're always removing and adding shit in like the middle of the night. Random dates too. I know. So I'll get notifications on my phone from Netflix and it'll be like 60 titles leaving soon. I'm like, the hell? 40 titles coming soon. Uh, The best scene. I had a lot here. The opening credits. Yeah. Awesome. They're awesome. Yeah, that's tough. The pan this out a, to the gun in his mouth. Yeah, this is a tough movie to pick the best scene for. Uh, Norton meets Bob. Norton meets Marla. Norton meets Tyler. It's like a classic scene on the plane. Yeah. You're the best single-serving friend. I sell soap. <laughs> I sell soaps. I make and I sell soap. <laughs> I want you to hit me as hard as you can slash Tyler origin story. That's just a funny. Yeah. I could have put that in comedy. (laughs) Uh, The rules, the rules of fight club might be the most iconic and pop culture element taken from the movie is the rule. Number one. Yeah. Uh, Making the soap and the scar tough scene. Yeah. Lou pummels Tyler also could have been put in comedy. Uh, Tyler threatens Raymond, the gas station clerk. <laughs> Norton destroys Jared Leto in a fight. <laughs> His name is Robert Paulson. Uh, the reveal that everybody knows about now. Norton turns himself in. Tyler beats up Norton, and then Norton shoots himself. Bredis. Loaded. I think it also depends on your viewing. Like if it's your very first viewing and you're not actively thinking about how crazy the movie this is and you don't think about it. Cause I feel like a lot of people for their first viewing, if a friend puts it on, they're like, this movie is insane. You, you don't know what to expect. It makes them think about the ending way too early. But if you just put it on and say you haven't seen it, I think the reveal unquestionably has to be the best scene. It is. If you don't think about the ending, if you have no idea what the movie is about, you've not really read the book. all the pop culture shit yet, the reveal is mind-boggling. And they're showing back all the scenes that you talked about, the, the scar scene, when they show him by himself doing the scar. You're like Jaws at the floor that first time you watch this movie. When he's fighting himself in the parking lot. Yeah, like it's <laughs> you, you're in disbelief. But yeah, after seeing the movie several times, it's, yeah, it's harder to pick the impact of certain scenes. Um, meeting Marla is really fun. I mean, the whole first, the I think the first act is like the best part of this movie. Meeting Bob is fun. Meeting, yeah. like, meeting Tyler on the airplane. I mean, the origin story, it, it's not the best scene, but it's funny. Yeah. Just a fun-ass movie. Lou pummels Tyler. That's like intense. Norton destroys Leto's comedy, so it's a good yeah. <laughs> I, I could have put some of these in comedy. Really, could have. Leto never recovers. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna go with the reveal. 
it's just just yeah for the sake of you know people thinking about that first watch it might be like one of the most iconic twist endings outside of like a shutter island seven seven yeah but like even his own other movies but it's definitely now i think just in the legendary halls of twist endings it's definitely unexpected six cents yeah it's definitely unexpected because a movie called fight club you expect a pretty basic plot yeah you know, you're not expecting a plot twist of that magnitude in a movie <laughs> called fight club you think it's going to be pretty simple yeah and uh not the case uh thoughts on the dirty grimy look and feel of the movie is that just me Shout out Seven, baby. If you've seen David Fincher's movies, this is like a spitting image of how you feel watching Seven. Just dark, depressing. Dirty. Yeah. Especially when they're in the basement of the tavern. Yeah. Wait, when they're just in the house. Yeah. I mean, they're just decrepit, water dripping. I mean, I don't know how you feel safe sleeping there every night. (laughs) Paper Street, baby. Yeah. Uh, you've been a critic of narration, Bredis. What do you think of it here? Because he's known just as the narrator in this movie. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about in the past episodes of like what type of narration. Like, this is the narrative narration that I think fits. It helps the story a lot because you get what I really like is an unreliable narrator. Because when you have that, then it doesn't really matter if they are or not because you can't trust anything they say, which I think is more fun. Because then it, if they are someone you can trust, then it's almost like an omnipotent god in some movies giving like facts where if you know that they really can't be trusted or they're kind of losing their mind, they can't sleep. It's more exciting because in whatever they say, you don't just take as fact. Yeah. I think it works perfectly for this movie. I, I loved it. I loved it. I'm not sure. Because uh, there's a story in the production. Uh, the screenplay didn't call for narration. And Fincher, the only reason he wanted it is because he thought uh, most of the humor from Norton's character came to the narration. Hey, it does. It's that super dry tone that he speaks in. Yeah. It's a matter of fact, sometimes it really is funny. So, God, Godspeed, to David Fincher, for doing that. God bless. <laughs> it's awesome and at this time no one's the studio's gonna let him do it yeah yeah they are <laughs> he's made two bangers since uh, they fucked him on Alien 3 so they're not <laughs> they learned to listen <laughs> the music Brad music is awesome yeah in the, in the in the opening credits and throughout the movie it's great I mean the closing song of the film when the buildings are exploding. That's the song you think about. Yeah, it's the soundtrack. It's the song of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And it fits so well. Shout out to the Dust Brothers. They did a hell of a job. Yes. Performances. Brad Pitt is Tyler Durden. So I listed, I mean, not much we can say about it. (laughs) I listed some other Brad roles because I think it's safe to say this is the most iconic role, right? Yeah, it's top three, top two. So I listed some others that might compare. And uh, just tell me if they're more or less iconic than uh, 
than uh, Tyler Durden here. Cliff Booth from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, it's too recent to be more iconic, so yeah. I think it could be. In the it, few- c- it could be maybe, but definitely not now. The Oscar helps. It does. It definitely helps for his legacy and a character. Mickey O'Neill from Snatch. I showed you that a few months back, and that's a please see Snatch if you haven't seen it. Yeah, his, his character is pure gold comedy. It's such a risky move to to deliberately make a character not be able to be understood. But it's so good. I guess it's definitely not more iconic because I feel like not near enough people uh, have seen the damn movie. No, which is a shame. <laughs> it is a shame. Uh, Aldo Rain from Unglorious Bastards. <laughs> See, this is one of my favorite Quentin Tarantino movies. One of my favorite Brad performances. Yeah, I don't know. Let's if I can put it more. I don't know if any of these will pass. Yeah. Oh, shit. I just looked up Snatch to see how many ratings it got. It got 772,000, way more than the game. Whoa. It's like 500,000 more than the game. Yeah. Higher rated in the game, too, 8.3. And I wonder how many more. I wonder what the game was at before it came out on Netflix. That's true. It might have doubled. So more people could see it. Yeah. And then uh, Billy Bean from Moneyball. <laughs> it's a great character, but definitely not iconic enough. No, no. I thought he should have won Best Actor for Billy Bean, but we know how that goes. <laughs> uh, I don't. Th- I don't think it's a question. I think this is the most iconic role. It's not. It's not even close. I mean, you you talked about uh, off the show. There were guys who would go to like gyms and say i want to look like brad pitt from fight club yeah i watched a, a video on a like a hollywood physical trainer and he said like after that came out like people would specifically request like w- what are your goals like w- what do you want to like get from this training or i want the i want brad pitt's body from fight club and he God. is he is chiseled he's chiseled and let's be honest he's a man dime in this movie yeah <laughs> and the thing about it is he wasn't young no when this movie when he, in this movie came out was he in his 30s yeah he was young much younger and uh, i noticed you didn't have the movie here in his best roles but in achilles when he played, when he played achilles and <laughs> um and troy i noticed you didn't put down troy for I, his, uh, it slipped my mind i missed it but yeah he's younger i'm pretty sure no, Troy, Troy came out way after this, but he, Troy came out like 2004. Yeah, I but I mean, he, yeah, he's not like he's not like 23 in Fight Club. No, mid 30s, you think? He's 56 now. This he was 30. He was he was. What does it say? So he, he would have been 30. He, he was he was turning 35 the last month of filming. Wow. Couple five years away from being forty, and he looked like that. Married the Jennifer Aniston should be mentioned. Yeah, <laughs> heyday Jennifer Aniston. When the movie came out, though, in 1999, he was 38. What? 
when the movie came out, he was 38 because he was born 1963, came out in 1999. My God, he looks a lot younger than that. Well, well, we all know he's aged well. We all know that. Yeah, that's... <laughs> yeah. Uh, Edward Norton as the narrator. Is this his most iconic performance? And I've, I have some here. I listed the Hulk just for you. Yeah, that's his most iconic hands down. <laughs> Primal Fear, which was his first. I don't know if you ever saw Primal Fear, Brett. No. That was his first movie. It was damn good. The twist in that one, I won't give it away for you. Ah. Birdman. And then not more iconic. American History X might be like that's a yeah. I think that is. I think it yeah, is. that's definitely more iconic. Can't sleep on the Hulk though. <laughs> yeah, you can. You can. <laughs> I can. You can. Uh, makes me sad. <laughs> I don't need to talk about it. Helena Bonham Carter as Marla Singer. She, it, it go, I mean, it goes back and forth. She sometimes is my favorite part of this whole movie. Really? She does such back an and forth between what job. Uh, between, I mean, Brad Pitt and Edward Norton, they each have their scenes, but I feel like everyone immediately thinks of those two like carrying the movie and they're like back and forth, the relationship together. But she plays a big role. Yeah, as Marla Singer is such an important character for the, and with the relationship to Edward and. I don't. She's just so good, especially in the in that first act. The best part of the movie sometimes to me when they're going to those therapy sessions and they're both being tourists. She, I don't know. She just is perfect for this role. She, she knocks it is. out of the part. I love every scene she is in. Because oddly she enough, she it. she oddly enough, if you don't think about it, she plays the straight man in this movie. Uh, explain. The the straight man. I'm trying to think. What's the? I'm trying to think of the actor's name who's like the most iconic. Like the everyman. No, the the straight man. I guess it's more of a term in comedy, but it's he's and like when everyone's kind of crazy and eccentric and off the wall, he's the one who like maintains composure and kind of reacts to everything. Oh, uh, okay. I'm trying to. Th- um, what is the? Mm, hold on, let me look this up real quick. Well, that makes sense then. She's yeah. just reacting to him. Yeah, like when they when she when he calls and he's asking about banging Tyler Durden and she's like, "No, I was like, like having sex with you." Like she's baffled by how they're calling her. Um, James Stewart is. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Alleged, yeah. He is. I can't remember his name for some reason, but real window. He's, yeah, he's a like a the Hollywood icon of like playing a straight man. Jimmy Stewart, baby. Yeah. But yeah, that's funny enough. Like, she is that in this movie. She's reacting to, like, she's inviting me over. Like, you let me over. You want to have sex. Now you hate me. Then you do this. He's like, what do you want from me, Tyler? Like, she's kind of, like, getting pissed off because this dude's acting batshit crazy. He's well, like, yeah. you, said, you said you love me. You call me over. Now you hate me. Like... She's like, damn! I was just having my fun time at these at these group meetings, and Tyler's not here. <laughs> Tyler went away. Tyler's gone. <laughs> and I just want to give a shout out to Milo and Jared Leto. Oh yeah, it's nice to see him. <laughs> nice to see him. <laughs> Seeing the meatloaf. 
Good seeing you. Meatloaf did fine. He did good. He didn't take away from it at all. Yeah. Hell of a job. Best quotes. You want to take it? Yeah. I only had a couple here. I only, I only found a couple. With a gun barrel between your teeth, you speak only in vowels. Facts. You can swallow a pint of blood before you get sick. <laughs> and I haven't been fucked like that since grade school. <laughs> incriminating. Yeah. Very Tough. incriminating. <laughs> Tough. Uh, some questions. I'll ask you a question they ask themselves. If you could fight anyone, who would you fight? I know they say Abe Lincoln. William Shatner was mentioned. If I could fight anyone. Gandhi was mentioned. Who would it be? Hmm, that's a good question. Anyone at all. Yeah, it's good. Who, who are you fighting? I'm thinking. Richard Nixon. Ah. Fight Richard Nixon. The true honest Abe. <laughs> so honest he had to resign. Yeah, they couldn't handle the truth. <laughs> That's a great question. Who would you fight? Fight Richard Nixon. Mm. I, I'll fight Hitchcock. I feel like he's a thick, meaty boy who takes some shots. <laughs> Like he has a, like he has a mean hook too. Can absorb body shots. <laughs> Takes him right to the gut. But Churchill, similar mm, build. It's a very similar build. <laughs> Cigar smoking, whiskey drinking. You'd have the, You would think you'd have the endurance over him, right? Yeah, you would think. But then he sits on you, and you're done. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> Uh, and then our next question how fast do you move out if the sex is that loud from your roommate's room <laughs> I mean I guess if you're okay living in that house your standards must be low rent free I guess yeah if it's rent free I guess I'm staying I'm sticking <laughs> yeah but like, like I said you're, you're, that's the home you're living in like the state of that building says a lot about where your standards are <laughs> Loud sex is probably pretty low on your list of complaints. Right. I think the rain coming through the ceiling, uh, <laughs> the caving in factor potential, you know, that, that, that probably higher on the list. Clues to the ending that I found. Uh, let me know if you've found any more. I know this because Tyler knows this. Yeah. The same briefcases on the plane. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a good one. Sometimes Tyler speaks for me. <laughs> and then uh, Marla and Tyler are never in the same room. Yeah. You find any others? Um, I mean, the biggest one I think was that I noticed was the, the suitcase. Yeah. Like that's the most glaring on uh, like an initial, not like looking for shit viewing. I'd be curious to go back and rewatch what's the earliest one. I know. That is that's, curious. That's always tough, I feel like, to know what's the earliest point you could go, mm, this is all in his head kind of thing. Well, you probably know it's been pretty talked about. Um, the thing they call the cigarette burn when it's time to change the reel, you know? Uh-huh. 
uh, he pops up like that every now and then. Tyler does. Yeah, because he's um, it's I have what my favorite shot is related to that. Oh, okay. About how he's like editing, how Tyler Durden is like editing film strips and whatnot throughout the movie. That kind of relates into my favorite shot. All right, we'll save it for that. We'll save it for that. You piqued my interest with that. <laughs> uh, some comedy. Norton's therapy names. Here's the ones I caught. <laughs> Cornelius, Rupert, and Travis. Taxi driver. Taxi driver, yeah. Uh, Norton flipped through the infomercials on TV. Because <laughs> he's just like, he can't go to sleep. He's just flipping through these bullshit, like 3 a.m. Yeah. Infomercials. Uh, splicing porno into the family film. Yep. That's, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tyler's house. Just his house. <laughs> <laughs> Talked about the loud sex. Uh, some of that sex sounded violent. Let me just say. It did. There, I heard, like, <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure you heard, like, glass breaking. <laughs> Bones cracking. Yeah. Horrible. Uh, Norton threatens his boss. The look on his boss's face when he uppercuts himself. Yeah. It's priceless. (laughs) Jesus Christ. This guy's crazy. Norton fights Bob. (laughs) Gets gets his ass kicked. Uh, You know he hits hard. Oh, yeah. It's a lot of anger. Bob just lets a yell out after the fight. (laughs) (laughs) R.I.P., Bob. R.I.P. The fights with the strangers. The priest was good. Yeah. yeah. The priest was funny. Bob chasing uh, the guy on the bike. <laughs> I don't think you're going to catch him, Bob. So. No, he tried. <laughs> Did you catch the new airplane uh, emergency directions? I don't remember those. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember them now. It, is, it has a dad uh, reaching for the oxygen mask and like pushing his son out of the way to get it. <laughs> Uh, the ambush on the dude in the bathroom. He had to cut his balls off. He was just minding his own business. He was terrified. And then uh, our boy, Holt McCallany, Bill Tench from Mindhunter, explaining Bob's death. Yeah. Tough way to go for Bob. Yeah, not the, not the best way to go for our good buddy. <laughs> they shot Bob. They shot him in the head. <laughs> Brett's bitch. What do you got for us? I'm trying. I mean, there's not like an obvious best bitch. I mean, we talked about, you know, Raj and his, you know, feelings about the movie. And I think my gripe is that in some senses, this movie is a little bit like worse version of the game. It's not like the same movie, just a worse version of it, but there's elements of it that featured in both that just don't hit as hard. You mentioned that before the show. Yeah. I thought it was an interesting take because uh, while I might prefer fight club, I think overall the game is a better movie. Yeah. So I get what you're saying with that. And I think the game appeals to a wider audience. 
Because like yeah, this this definitely, and you could get into the problem. I don't think this movie is for everyone, but if it's something not. is for everyone, it's for nobody. That kind of old saying, but I don't yeah. think this, I don't think the movie is for everyone, obviously. But and it's just yeah, it's almost like if Nicholas in the game like actually went cr- like batshit crazy and started like killing people and doing stuff. <laughs> like I said, this Fight Club is almost any element you can find in Fight Club that's in the game. It's that just turned to eleven, right? Like, do you think uh, your grandpa would watch Fight Club? Uh, probably not. <laughs> I don't think my grandpa would watch it. No, I think he'd watch it. I don't think he'd like it. That's true. Yeah, they might turn it on and sit through it, but yeah, because my grandpa sat through some. I mean, the man's seventy-seven. I'm sure he sat through some shit. Yeah. So, I don't think Fight Club would be the worst thing he ever saw. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I guess my bitch would just be reviews because uh, maybe not even that much because this movie is this one of the most polarizing movies ever. And it has yeah. such a vehement cult following. I hate, I hate yes, calling it, it that because it's such a popular movie now. But I know. It has such a vehement legion of fans who defend it <laughs> with every bone in their body. I mean, I love the movie, but I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna try to convince you it's the best movie ever made. Yeah, I think that one might be my gripe. Then is that this could have been better than the game if it focused on those elements of like the mind and you know he can't sleep, so it's like these multiple these multiple personalities and how he would function. But I, he might get lost in just seeing how far he can go by turning up the violence so much yeah. that he loses sight of making a more concise and you know digestible movie. Just how wild can we go? Like at the end of the movie, he's like literally blowing up a city, pretty much. Yeah, it's basically what he's doing. Yeah, so it's like how? What can I do? Like, what's the extent that I can go? Which might have been to his own detriment. Yeah. Um, your favorite shot. What's your favorite shot, Brad? So we talked about Tyler Durden doing his uh, projectionist job, inserting porn into family footage. Dirty. It, the 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 last scene of the film when he is holding hands. Uh, a dick is flashed. They sneak a little dick in there, don't they? they? Sneak some dick in there, and it gets me <laughs> every time because you think about the music score crashing over the scene, and sometimes fighting, you forget the dick is going to come up. Fighting with you know this multiple personalities and this weird twisted romance, and the city's blowing up, music crashing, and then it's just a a dick. <laughs> cut in there and it just kind of plays into like the meta-ness of who Tyler is and his mental state and is this all happening is it not happening we're watching like a film strip kind of be edited live in real time and it's just so it's so funny I love that it's like right at the end of the movie (laughs) or as Tyler likes to call it with the cigarette hanging out of his mouth nice big cock (laughs) (laughs) uh my favorite is the tracking shot into Lou's tavern. Mm, beautiful. When uh, the bartender takes him down to the basement. 
That's my favorite. That's great. I just, if you put a tracking shot in there, I, I, you, you got me. Yeah. I'm, I'm fooled. <laughs> you got me. You, you've gotten right to my heart. Uh, do we care? We might care about this one. Do we care that Fight Club became a terrorist organization? <laughs> I kind of care. Uh, nah. <laughs> Let it slide. It happens. You think the credit card companies deserved it? You can give it to them. <laughs> Do we care that the cops are in on it? Uh, yeah. I mean, or no, because I think it plays well because you're getting all these crazy guys to sign up for this cult. Right. So yeah. I think it's kind of funny when they kind of reveal that they're like, they're like, we're not going to let you. Like you told us. It's kind of a funny scene. Yeah, I don't, I don't care. I liked it. The casting what ifs. I could only find one, and it was for Marla. Courtney Love, Winona Ryder, and Renee Zellweger were all considered. I'm sure they do a great job, but it's it's like this character was made. Right. It just like was stitched perfectly for Helena. I just it, it's hard to say after the fact, like hindsight's twenty twenty. I couldn't see anybody else playing this role because they played the role, but it really, it really is. She just does an absolutely perfect job. I mean, for all three of the main roles, it's hard to see anybody else. Yeah. Um, the fun facts, $63 million budget, 101.2 million box office. Again, not great. He gets, he gets close. He gets uh, close. I'm glad he, I'm glad he finally got his big box office wins later. Yeah. Because seven was a banger. Uh, Gone Girl made a lot of money. Yeah, I think Gone Girl is his highest grossing movie. It might be. Um, I wonder how much Zodiac made. I feel like to me Zodiac. I feel like it didn't make a lot of money. I, I would believe it if someone was like Zodiac made two million dollars. Like I would just for some yeah. reason I feel like no one has seen that movie. I don't know why. Zodiac made ten million dollars. Yeah, that I makes don't know sense. why. Yeah, go ahead and look that up. I wonder. I I don't think... I I would bet it didn't break 100. I would bet money on that. No way. Um, It did not. Ooh, this one might have been in the red. Oh, no. Because it says budget 65 to 85 million. Let's say it's towards the higher end. It made 84.7 million. So yeah, I'm glad that he's finally net, like getting more people to go out and see his movies and make those bucks up because he's making like critically like well received movies, but they're just not for the general masses to go watch. No, like Zodiac, Gone Girl is based on a big book, so because there are a lot of people that just go to the movies th- when we could go to movie theaters. There's a lot of people that went yeah. just for just for date night just for like outings with friends. So they usually want to see something funny or more lighthearted or actiony. You're not going to go see seven on date night. You're really not going to go see Zodiac on date night. Like even the game, it's so involved. Hey babe, let's go yeah. see Zodiac. <laughs> yeah. Like the killer, honey. You know, they never found him. I like my sign. No, 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 no. Like the, like the murderer. <laughs> Uh, Chuck Palahniuk, the author of the novel, thought the film was better than his book. 
It's a, it's a fucking exciting movie. I've never read the book, but uh, I haven't either. Yeah, I probably agree with him. Just going off how good the movie was. Uh, they're actually drunk in the golfing scene. I love it. <laughs> it might be my favorite fun fact because you definitely know that they had to shoot that obviously at the end of the day because it's dark as hell out. Yeah. But I just love that. They're probably like, we got one shoot left. This is the like eighth take of it. Let's the, yeah, let's just get drunk and then go back, <laughs> go back to our hotel. Uh, Rosie O'Donnell, this was back when she had a talk show. She gave away the twist ending on live TV. And Brad Pitt in the commentary on the DVD called it unforgivable. Yeah, I mean... What are you doing, Rosie? That, like, that pisses me off of, like, the artistry of filmmaking and the craft and the time and effort to make a story like this and craft the narrative and write a twist ending. Like, this, and that's the thing with, like, spoilers for movies that really require, like, a spoiler alert. Like, you can't get that back. Well, Brett, she didn't just give it away. She gave it away on right. opening day. Yeah, I know. The opening Friday. Yeah, you can't get, like, the thing is, you can never get a first viewing of a movie back. And if, like, an ending is ruined, you never will, you'll never have had an authentic experience with a movie. You're supposed to experience a movie like that a certain way. Like, David Fincher wanted you to experience that movie a specific way. And if you're a bastard enough to take that away, that's why you don't have a talk show anymore, Rosie O'Donnell. <laughs> you rat bastard. <laughs> Fucker. Unforgivable. I, I support that comment. Bro. I agree too. That's bullshit. Like, who the fuck do you think you are, Rosie O'Donnell? Who let her get an early screening? Yeah. She, she urged uh, audiences not to see it. What a. Well, if you give away the ending, I'm probably not going to go see it now, Rosie. So, yeah. good job. Good job. You fucker. Fucker. Uh, the sex scene was shot with the same Matrix technique that they used in that movie the bullet yeah, yeah all those bullet. all those cameras that make it yeah. do the super cool <laughs> bend at the knee i love that i love that the effort went into the sex scene yeah <laughs> good on them uh a famous uh trivia bit a starbucks mm-hmm. cup is visible in every scene that product placement baby i did not go through the trouble of uh no god how to no. pick those up but it goes with the message of the movie Yep. Big corporations. Oh, yeah. Uh, Brad was paid a hefty $17.5 million for this movie, while Ed Norton was paid only $2.5 million. That shows where their star power was at in 1999. <laughs> Remember, the budget was $63 million. Yeah. Brad Pitt was king of the, king of the mountaintop. <laughs> Moving in the early 2000s, we're getting into like Ocean's Eleven territory soon. Right. Like, this is a heartthrob. Is he getting Jennifer Aniston at this time? They're married. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, this is like a heartthrob couple powerhouse. He is getting all the money. This man jumped from Gwyneth Paltrow to Jennifer Aniston to Angelina Jolie. Power. Because I fucking could. <laughs> this is what I believe he would do or say. And famously, one of the only actors to stand up to Harvey Weinstein. Yes. Yeah, that's a great, famous story. Great. I think Gwyneth Paltrow on the Howard Stern Show, if you want to look it up, talks about the encounter. And if you don't respect Brad Pitt, you really... He was ready to... He was ready to beat the shit 
out of Harvey Weinstein. Oh, hang on, Brad. Hang on. <laughs> Sorry. Now, now, now. <laughs> Let's just both agree things got a little out of hand back there. And Gwyneth was never harassed again. No. 1,500 reels of film used three times the average for this length of a movie. Classic Fincher. <laughs> Praise the digital age for ease of use of creation, but hot diggity damn, man, 1,500 reels of film. <laughs> Good God. Three times the average. Triple yeah. it. Oh, man. Well, that does it, Bredis. Episode one yep. of our Fincher series. Normally I say go watch these movies. I know you bastards out there have seen Fight Club. <laughs> go watch the game. Yeah. Cr- criminally underrated, underviewed movie by David Fincher. It really is. Again, get your brain ready. It's you're gonna need to be guessing and Again, I don't know. We, I feel like I say that now, but if you've listened to the whole pod, big elements have been spoiled. But, <laughs> but it's not so much a twist like you'd think. It's a twist to what you'd expect. There's actually the twist in the middle is that you think it's not a game. The, the ending bigger twist is actually just what you've been told the entire time. Yeah. It just is a game. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not it's not as bad as if you've never seen Fight Club and we talk about it and then you try to go watch it. I actually don't think we gave away the ending of Fight Club. I think we talked around it. Did we explicitly say what the twist was? I don't think we did. It, I, if 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 you're listening and we and you know the ending and we didn't, kudos to us. That's kind of <laughs> impressive to talk about Fight Club and not immediately spoil the ending of that movie. I think we just talked about funny shit, funny shit, and uh, I didn't say what the reveal was. When we talked about best scene, so that's yeah, that's true. If, yeah, you know, yeah, if we didn't accidentally leak it out, kudos to us. That's you're impressive. welcome. You're welcome, listeners. You're all, you're all welcome. <laughs> so that does it. Yep. And uh, still trying to figure out what our next Fincher one's going to be. I want, we were originally going to try and fit Panic Room in this one, but neither of us had the time to watch it. Um, I think our next one will probably be Aliens 3. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably, right? It's the, it's the whole, <laughs> whole pod. I don't know. I, I want to do Zodiac the next one. I think that'd be awesome. Just Another movie we can get more people to go see. I want to watch that so bad again. That's a awesome, awesome movie. Uh, but before we go, Bredis, some news broke um, in the sports realm before we started recording. Russell Westbrook wants out of Houston. What are your thoughts? I, I, I just think I don't know where he, what he, who he thinks he is. He's not what he was. Like, he thinks that he is this golden piece that's going to carry him. He made Houston worse. Yeah. Like, I just, I honest to God, I do not see Russell Westbrook at, for the time being with the certain other teams and players in the league ever winning uh, a ring. And that's a shame because I like him. Yeah. Plays but hard. He, but he's, he's his own worst, like, asset. He's his worst enemy. Yeah. He has to be the only star on a team but if he's the only star on a team, where are you he's going? not gonna he's not gonna win, right? 
Like, he was super successful when he's in OKC, but they weren't winning. When he goes to a team that's actually good, but he has to share the ball and he's not the one end-all, be-all, then they st- – ah. Good luck to you, Russ. <laughs> I you'll love – You'll do better than Paul George, I imagine. Oh, that's not, that's not asking much. I, I, I love Russ. Yeah. I love Russ. He plays hard every night, but he's his own worst enemy. Average a triple-double. I mean, you can't – Three years in a row? You can't doubt the man, but it's just funny that a man that can average a triple-double like, cannot get to an NBA Finals. <laughs> He's only been to one. And it was, he wasn't even – that wasn't even the Russ from today. It was a, it was no. a kid, kid Russ. Um, and as always, you know, check out the rest of our shows on the Running Hook, Network, the Running Hook uh, Podcast Network. We got the Running Hook with Alex Burr, him and Caleb. Just did a pod on uh, – some intriguing NBA teams this offseason. Check that out. Looking like Chris Paul might go to the Suns, Bredis. I saw that on Twitter. I, I'm down. Get some help to the Phoenix Suns. Devin Booker, your boy. Yeah, get Devin Booker some help. He, no cannot, he cannot carry the Suns <laughs> as a shooting guard. Wait, you don't like uh, Ricky Rubio's help? No. Talk about, <laughs> talk about past the prime. <laughs> Uh, check out Lance Sanity. He's got the NFL all hooked up. He just did an episode with uh, Jacob Keith and Bryce Shaddy, so check that out. They were recapping uh, this past weekend. Colts took an L, as we all know. <laughs> uh, fuck referees, that's all I have to say. Uh, check out Top, Triple Option Pass with Ryan Gregory and Devin Voss. They're going to be getting a preview out soon for this weekend. A lot of games getting canceled this weekend. So uh, they're going to recap you on that stuff. And then the Battleground, moderated by myself and featuring Bryce Shaddy and J.D. Hall. Uh, we should have an episode we recorded last night. That should be out uh, in the coming days. So check those out. Check out the whole network. We, we got all kinds of content for you. And uh, as always, thanks for listening.